Well, I did it in first service, and I totally surprised you. <laughs> so in first service, Rick and I had a marital spat. Um, we've been married 13 years now. This is 13 years. All right? I started in January. When did I hire you? Oh, it was August? 13 years in August. It was 13. We had to work like five months to get Randy on board. Yeah. That's what we had to do. <laughs> anyway, uh, and so I surprised him this morning. How many of you were here for lead night when we did this song? Okay, so you need to teach the crowd how to sing this song, <laughs> right? Some of you kind of forgot. So we're going to teach, we're going to, can we, are you ready to tag this thing? Yeah. Because this is, uh, this shouldn't be a surprise now. We did it first service. I know. Now I'm planned. Now you're planned for it. And I know your second service and you are small, but you are mighty. <laughs> okay, I know, I know first service is typically packed, so you're going to have to carry a little bit more, you're going to have to carry a little bit more load than maybe oh, first yeah. service does, but, but you can do this. So, are we ready? All right, we're going to start on here, now here. All right. Here, now. Mental Health Series. This is a series that three churches in our city are doing together. Uh, us, Grace Point, and um, Countryside. Uh, Pastor Tim Hughes and Nate Bruns are also doing this with us. And let me just encourage you that if, if you've missed a week during this series, this is one of those series that um, I think you're just going to get a lot of benefit if you, if you go back and listen to it. Because stuff kind of builds on itself. There's a lot of stuff that kind of strings together in this. And on top of this, and if any of you repeat me, I'm going to deny everything. Um, but, like, Tim Hughes can preach. Like, he's good. He's, like, I'll, I'll never admit it to his face. Um, but he, he's a really good communicator. And Nate's a good guy. Anyway, I know he, anyway. Uh, anyway, so, no, those, those guys, um, really just godly men and, and um, 
really tons of incredible content through this series with the other two churches. So really would encourage you to hear that. So today we're going to talk about fear. And fear is, um, it's really related to anxiety. Oftentimes they, they kind of coexist with each other, okay? One causes the other. And uh, there's some things that are true of fear that were also true of anxiety that we talked about last week. And, and here's, here's one of them is that everybody, everybody, everybody experiences some level of fear. Now, it may be about different things and it may have different levels, but everybody has some kind of fear. Like, like spiders. Nobody in here is afraid of spiders. That's fantastic. All of first service is afraid of spiders. So if you really want to wig people out, show up a little bit early next Sunday and have a bunch of those plastic spiders. You really freak out first service. Um, snakes. Anybody? Sna okay, I've got a few snakes in here. Yeah, cool. Snakes. Uh, fear of large groups of people. People in general, right? Right? Speaking in public. Okay, yeah. Uh, my, my kids grew up just wondering why they never went to the circus. I don't do clowns. I got no, no use for clowns. And that's because Jesus hates clowns. I'm pretty sure. If you're a parent, you know, when we became parents, that, that kind of forced us into a whole other realm of fear. That, that, like, I, I didn't even know it existed, like this level of fear. And I can just remember thinking, man, I can't wait till they become teenagers when I have less things to be afraid about. <laughs> and then, and then, I did, I did, I did. Um, I, and then I made the statement, man, I can't wait till I graduate from high school and I won't have as much to be afraid about. That brochure on parenting was completely false, man. It was like, it just, it just changes. It just intensifies, right? You fear for, for their mental health. You fear every time they get in a car. You fear for friends. Some of us fear failure in, in, in school, but in our business. Maybe we even have a fear in relationships, like we're always going to let people down. This just seems like there's all these different kinds of fear. And, and the list is endless, but then so are the verses. There's like hundreds of verses that speak about fear. And, um, and they're really good verses. I, I'm going to put a couple of them up here on the screen. Um, one of them that's, that's kind of, close to me that I, that I kind of have in the back of my head is the Hebrews 13 one. And it's like, you know, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. That was, <laughs> the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right, this is kind of one of those things, right? And those, and those are helpful, but, but there is a fear. There is a fear that handcuffs people in experiencing God's grace. There's a fear that keeps people from experiencing what freedom in Christ was meant to be. There's a fear that, that robs people of peace in their mind. It, it beats them down with shame and guilt. There's a fear that, that makes people feel worthless. It tricks them into wearing a mask all the time that says on the outside, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But on the inside, they're living on an island of insecurity and anxiety. And I, I wish that I had a really nice, clean, technical name 
for that kind of fear. But the only way I know how to describe this kind of fear is it's a fear of things that God has already dealt with. We were sitting down planning this this series and, and we were talking about this, me, Tim, and Nate, and Tim jumps in the conversation and he says, hey, listen, I got a story in Joshua that specifically talks about this, that specifically deals with the fear of things that God has already dealt with. And I was like, I'm in. Like, I love Joshua. Joshua is like my, Joshua's my favorite Old Testament. I mean, it's not even close. I love Joshua. Love his stories. And I was just sitting there going, man, Joshua, he grew up with Moses. He was part of the Exodus. He was with Moses when he went on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. He saw Moses lose his mind when they built the golden calf and, and, and then crossed the Jordan. I mean, I mean like, like they crossed the Red Sea. I mean, like, like he's got all of these stories with Moses. Joshua, Joshua was, was one of those guys, like when Moses said, this is the land, God's given us the land, and he sends the spies into the land, and he sends 12 of them, and they come back. And 10 of those spies say the land is beautiful, but there's giants in the land. Those are military conquerors in that land. Those, those leaders are so powerful. They have so much power. They're so evil. They're so awful. There's no way we could ever, we could ever take this land. And there were two guys that went, man, God's already, God's already promised us this land. God's already said this land is ours. God's already said the victory is ours. We just got to be obedient. There were two guys that did this in front of the whole, the whole nation of Israel, the whole people that came out of the Exodus. There were only two guys that did it. One of the guys' names was Caleb, and the other guy was Joshua. This is Joshua. And they, the people voted with the ten. And that caused them to spend 40 years, right? 40 years wandering the desert. And in that 40 years, the just awful things happened to them. They got ambushed by these neighboring tribes. They, they had to deal with sickness and disease. They, they constantly fought. They constantly disobeyed God again. And, and Caleb and Joshua had to absorb the consequence of somebody else's sin. Like that, that right. I, mean, what jo- I mean, Joshua wanted to obey and yet he had, to, he had to deal with the 40 years of consequences. This is Joshua. And then when Joshua becomes the commander, when he, when he takes Moses' spot and, and God says, all right, man, we're going to take this land and now's the time you're going to do this, Joshua. Man, we got all these great stories with Joshua that we could tell. And Tim sends me this story. Joshua, chapter 10. You ready? This is what he sends me. Now the five defeated kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. And it was reported to Joshua. The five kings have been found. They are hiding in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said to them, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and station men by it to guard the kings. But as for the rest of you, don't stay there. Pursue your enemies, attack them from behind. Don't let them enter their cities for the Lord your God has handed them over to you. So Joshua and the Israelites finished inflicting a terrible slaughter on them until they were destroyed. 
although a few survivors ran away to the fortified city. And the people returned safely to Joshua at the camp at Makeda. And no one dared threaten the Israelites. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave, bring those five kings to me out of there. And this is what they did. They brought the five kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon to Joshua out of the cave. And when they had brought the kings to him, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel, all the men of Israel, and to the military commanders who had accompanied him. Come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So the commanders came forward and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. And after this, Joshua struck them down and executed them. And he hung their bodies on five trees, and they were there until the evening. At sunset, Joshua commanded that they be taken down from the trees, thrown into the cave where they had hidden. The large stones were placed against the mouth of the cave, and the stones are still there today. So I called him. And I said, uh, hey, man, um, I, finally, I, finally, uh, I finally got around to, like, reading the rest of the email. And, like, I couldn't even complete a sentence after I'd read this passage. And I'm like, uh, um, are you, are you, are you going to, like, and he's like, Grant, are you okay? No. No, I'm, I'm not okay. Like, are you going to teach this? And he goes, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm just, like, I'm just like, I told you to be honest with you through the series, right? I, I was like, I, I don't know if I want to teach this. In, in this climate, in today's world, I mean, I, I don't want to teach this. He goes, I understand that. He goes, yeah, you know, you don't have to. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> he goes, but man, isn't it an incredible picture of what happens when fear gets a hold of you and what you have to do to break out of fear? I said, yeah. But, <laughs> and I started remembering. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were, well, it was more than that, it was about three or four weeks ago, we were in First Peter, and, and we hit some of those really, like, crazy hard passages that, and we were like, listen, there's some stuff in Scripture that we read, and we go, man, this doesn't make sense. You, you put what you read, and you put it in today's world, and it's like, man, this makes no sense at all, maybe even offensive 
But there's three questions that we need to ask of a hard passage to get perspective on what's going on so that we just don't read it for face value, but we really understand God's message. Do you remember this? And we talked about cultural context and we talked about the whole witness of scripture and we talked about finding the kingdom principles. Do you remember this? I know I've slept since then too, but this is, these were the three, I'm not, I'm not asking you for your approval. These are the three questions that we asked, okay? Well, this is gonna be a great exercise with this passage of scripture asking these questions. And so let's just dive into this, the cultural context. When, when this happens here in Joshua 10, if, if we were to take a step back, there, there are two, there's two huge ingredients that we kind of need to understand if, if we're going to get a real handle on this. And there's two things. One is Israel's history of fear and disobedience and how violent and evil the time period was, Okay. So, so here's the background, right? We, we know about the Exodus, and we know that during this time frame, Israel has this cycle of disobeying God, not trusting God. And at the root of this disobedience is fear. They are scared to trust God. They're scared of the unknown. They don't know how to be a free people. All they understand is slavery. There's so many things they're afraid of. And this fear just keeps getting louder and louder in their heads that they just stay in this cycle of whenever God tells them to do something remotely, remotely uncomfortable, remotely not something that they want to stretch themselves or do, their first instinct is to cower away and find the path of least resistance, to do, to do the least amount of things, and they just disobey. And it's fear that's driving this, mostly for the Israelites. And, th- and this happens over and over again. And and this is Israel's history. This is their default position, is that when they get stressed, when they get pushed, they get scared and they disobey. Does that that sound familiar to you? Like, is that that something you can relate to, that when you get stressed, when you get pressed in, there's some of us that have a default position to go, okay, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm I'm just going to, right? This is Israel's default position. And the time period that this is happening is you've got all of these little cities, you've got all these little nomadic tribes, and the leaders of these tribes are brutal, violent, genocidal leaders. These these are Hitler, Mussolini, Putin, Idi Amin, the the worst leaders you can think of, that's what these leaders were like. These leaders of these little kingdoms and these little regions, they had a systematic approach to trafficking women. They regularly killed unwanted children. Foreigners that would walk into their towns would be sold as slaves, used, and murdered. Genocide happened at a ridiculous pace in these places. These were evil, evil people. And Israel's wandering around trying to figure out who they are in the midst of this. And they're constantly being attacked by these people for 40 years, being ambushed. That's 
That's the context. When you take another step back and you look at the whole witness of Scripture, you've got a couple other layers that are going on here. In Genesis chapter 15, this, this is the piece of the puzzle that, that sometimes we forget. God has promised Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation and that this nation is going to be a blessing to the world. The nation will eventually become what we know as Israel, and then the fulfillment of that blessing will be in a son of Israel named Jesus. That's the blessing. But when God makes the promise to Abraham in Genesis, in chapter 15, Abraham has this dialogue with God. And it's like, well, if you're giving me this land, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And God tells Abraham, not yet, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That's what God tells Abraham in Genesis 15. He says, no, you're not going to take the land yet because the sin of them has not reached its full measure. And he tells Abraham in Genesis 15, there's going to be four generations, about 400 years, that's going to happen. And we're going to give these people, the Amorites, the people in this land that Joshua now is, we're going to give them every opportunity to repent from their ways. But their sin has not yet reached its full measure. When their sin reaches its full measure, I will deal with them and I will give you the land. Now you fast forward four generations, and that's Joshua. So when God sends Joshua into the land to establish Israel as a new nation, he's also sending him as the right hand of judgment for the full measure of sin that he's speaking of in Genesis 15. The other piece of the puzzle here when we talk about the whole witness of Scripture, is understanding that God's revelation of himself is progressive. And what I mean by that is, the picture that Abraham got of God was true, but incomplete. He, he, didn't, he didn't have the full picture of God. And then when you step forward a little bit in Joshua, he's got another picture of God, and, it, and it's a little bit sharper in focus than what Abraham had, but it's still not the full, complete picture. And then you keep doing this, and then you get to Jesus. And Jesus is the most complete picture that we have. But don't, don't freak out on me here, okay? You, you understand that even Paul says, we look through a glass darkly. That even Jesus, our experience of Jesus, it is a true experience, and it is enough of an experience. But when we see him face to face when he returns, and God establishes his kingdom, that will be the full picture. We don't have the full picture yet now. Let me make it even more stressful for us. We know that the scriptures talk of God as holy and just and loving and gracious. How do all of those streams meet in a place like Joshua 10. If we were to land in the middle of Abraham's time, we'd be angry that God isn't just, that he isn't holy, that he's too forgiving, that he's too patient. But if we land right there next to Joshua and we hear God say, utterly destroy, utterly destroy these people, we would say God's God's way beyond holy and just. God's this angry, bloodlusting uh, deity. 
We need a whole picture. We need a grander picture. One more thing about Joshua 10. A few chapters before Joshua 10, there is a battle at a place called Ai. And in the battle of Ai, for the first time in the story that Joshua is coming to conquer the land, they get routed. And they shouldn't have been because Ai was this little insignificant city, should have fell easily. But hundreds of soldiers lose their life at Ai. And for the longest time, they couldn't figure out why. God had told them when they entered the land that God was all they needed so that when they went into the land and they defeated these cities, they're not to take any spoils of war. You don't need any of that stuff. You're only to rely on God. You're to utterly destroy this because this is the full measure of sin. This is the punishment for the full measure of sin. You're to utterly destroy it and I will establish you. I will keep you safe. I will provide for you. Well, right before the battle of Ai, there's a tribe, there's a family members, a family members that did not obey this command. They were hiding loot, they were hiding spoils of war. They were doing this for their own security, for their own financial profit, and they were and they were hiding it. And so when they went into battle, God allows them to be defeated because of this sin. And the problem with the sin from our perspective is, is that really a big deal? Well, from God's perspective, it was a massive deal. Because remember, you have Israelites that have this history of fear. They have this history of when things get tough, they're going to step back and disobey. So when they experience this defeat, it's not just that you had hundreds of soldiers that lost their lives because of disobedience. It's now the whole confidence in God, the whole nation's confidence in the leadership of Joshua is now undermined. And now everybody in the country is starting to ask the question, well, maybe this is just good enough. Maybe, maybe we've just gone, maybe this is just it. Maybe we can't trust God to deliver the land. Maybe God really didn't mean that, that he was giving us this land. And so this fear that they have is now leading them right back down the same path they took all those years ago, the path of disobedience to not taking the land that God had already said, it's yours. And they're in the process of figuring this out. They're in the process of dealing with this sin. They're in the process of trying to not just win the battle against AI again, but to, but to break out of this stronghold of fear that's captured the nation. Because, because if they don't break out of this stronghold, this nation's going to die before it ever gets started. And it's during this vulnerable time, it's during this really vulnerable time, these five kings say, now's our chance to attack. They're vulnerable. They lost They've, they've abandoned this city that they have an alliance with, and so we're going to go attack this city. So these five awful, evil kings that had ruled with violence and had ruled evilly in that region, they were the most feared leaders in the region. They go attack this city while the Israelites are trying to figure out what's going on with this, with this loss at Ai. And they're destroying this city. And Joshua has to make a decision that says, I either am going to trust God, and even in this, this state of fear that we're in, we're going to have to go and attack, 
because that's what God's called us to do. Or I'm going to listen to the people and go, okay, we're good enough and we're just going to, we're okay. We're just going to let them still have this reign of terror. And if you know anything about Joshua, you know that that ain't going to happen. So Joshua musters the troops. They go liberate this city. They free this city up. And in the process of the war, in the, in the fog of war, the five kings abandon their soldiers. They just leave them. And they go hide in the caves. And again, Joshua's faced with a hard decision. Do you still stay on the mission that God called you to do? The mission wasn't to pay back revenge to the five kings. The mission was to defeat the people so that you can inherit the land. And Joshua says, seal up the five kings. We'll deal with them later. We're not going to get distracted with revenge. We're going to stay focused on obedience. So they seal up the five kings and they go rout the armies. And when they rout the armies of the five, now they come back and now Joshua says, okay, now, now we're going to deal with your fear. Now we're going to deal with your fear. Bring out the five kings. And he brings all of the country together in this valley at Makeda to deal with the fear of these five evil men that for dozens and dozens of years had rained down terror and intimidation in that land. Does that help bring a little bit more context of what's going on? There's some kingdom principles here. Joshua now, as he brings the five kings out, he's now dealing with fear. The fear that the people of Israel have lived with all of their lives, all of their parents' lives, all of their grandparents' lives. And there's some things that we can learn in this scene. The first one is this. This kind of fear, this having a, a fear of things that God already spoken of, it's built on lies. The lie that the people of Israel believed was that God had not really given them the land and that they couldn't inherit the land and that they couldn't take the land. That the people, that the enemies of the Lord were too big. They were giants compared to us. They were grasshoppers. They have all of this imagery of how intimidating, how horrible, how strong, how, and, and they, the, the lie gave them more power than what they really had. Do you catch that? The lies gave those five kings more power than what they really had. And so Joshua says, the way we deal with that is we're going to bring truth. God has already handled the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is we don't get this land and we have to go back to being slaves. Well, guess what? God's already handled that. God's already said that's not going to happen. People. If you are in Christ, this, the, if you're in Christ, you will never, ever have to face anything in this life or the next 
without Jesus. Our worst case scenario is spoken for. It's, it's handled. It's done. You are never, ever, ever going to deal with anything in your life without Jesus. I, listen, look at the person next to you and say, that's good news. <laughs> okay? I mean, that... Th- Your worst case scenario is taken care of. And this is so much larger. Listen, this is so much, this is so much larger than, oh, God saved me from hell. Now I'm not saying hell's a great place to go. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is so many times we get so focused on, oh, God saved me from my sins and I'm gonna be in heaven. No, God saved you from the next hour of being alone. Like today, after church. When you're arguing over where to eat or whatever it is you do after church, right? Tomorrow, when you get up and you have to face whatever it is that's coming down the pipeline tomorrow, you don't have to face, you're not, you will not face that alone. God has already spoken that over you. I want to show you this. Can we go? Yes. I, I do, I, I mean, obviously I'm a pastor, I, I, deal, I deal with people. Um, but there's, there's so many people that, that have this, they, they say, man, I love Jesus, I have this relationship with Jesus, but man, I just, whew, I'm a hot mess. And I, and I, you know, God can't use me, and. I got all this stuff, and I got this baggage, and I got this to deal with. I got to deal, and I just got. And there's times in my life where I, I don't say this, but I think this. I want to go, shut up, stop it, just stop. Go read your Bible. You are a kid of the King. You're an heir. He has given you every. Every spiritual blessing, every. He's gifted you. I mean, look at some of this stuff. You belong to God. You've been adopted. You have direct access to God. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're complete. I think we got more pages, right? Yeah. Look, I am assured that all things look good. I can't be separated. I love this one. Philippians 1. I am confident. This is so good. There is a work, and it is a good work, that God is doing in you and he is more committed than you will ever imagine to seeing it to completion in you. And these aren't promises. These are truths. These aren't things that God is going to do. These are things that he has done. Now, if you want this list, I think we got one more page. Do we have one more page? Yeah, I got tons of it. I'll send you this. Email me. God has already handled your worst case scenario. So the fears that sometimes we get caught believing 
need to start being faced with the truth of what God says in his word. This kind of fear is fed by disobedience. So it's fed, it's built, the fear is built on a lie, and then it just gets its energy from disobedience. So as the Israelites have all these lies telling to them that they're not going to take the land, they take this step back and they disobey, and that feeds into this fear. And what Joshua is doing with them is he's saying, no, we're going to take, we're going to obey. If fear is fed by disobedience, then obedience can feed our courage. There's a momentum to obedience. That's why I've said this all, like take millimeters of, like millimeters of obedience. Like just take, like we're not, like I'm not asking any of you to go be a missionary overseas today. Uh, just the next step. And this momentum of obedience will, will build. They destroy the five armies, and then the last two, this kind of fear is nurtured by cowardice and it's get, it gets insulated with isolation. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's this whole cycle that this fear is feeding for the nation of Israel that Joshua is, is going to expose here. These five kings are the most five feared people on the planet for the Israelites right now, for the whole region. They're scared to death of these five men. And this is why Joshua brings them out in front of them and has this incredible imagery that in our time period, I admit, in our time period, it, it's shaking. The idea of laying another human being on the ground and putting a foot on the neck. It's just, it's shocking, right? It's really shocking for us. But the imagery behind it is from old Assyria. As Assyrians were coming across and defeating lands and defeating countries, they would drag their leaders and kings out in front of the public and they would stand on the necks of their leaders to show them, you have no more power in this situation. And the Israelites had seen that done to them over and over and over and over again. And Joshua was telling them, no more. God has spoken. God has given us this land. This thing that you fear, this big honking thing that you think is, 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 is Everest that can't be defeated, this thing that you think is just, is just this giant that, that can never be overcome, come here, come here. Everybody come here. We're not going to do this in isolation. We're going to do this in community. We want everybody to see this. Come here. Put your foot on this neck right here. That's what God is doing right now to your, to your enemies. And Joshua is trying to lead them out of a place of fear and into a place of complete trust with God. What, what does this look like for us? Last year, um, I had an associate and a friend commit suicide. 
And when that happens, you, you begin to ask a lot of questions. Like, what, what was the cycle? What was the noise? What was the lies? Could I have done something? It changes you when you have to walk through something like that, right? I've got a dear friend, and uh, he is very, very dear to me. And he, he has wrestled with darkness for a long time. And he hears things that I don't, that I don't hear. It's a, it's a fear that screams in his head, and, and it's a fear that says, I'm worthless, I'm, uh, I, I'm not worth anything. Uh, God, I mean, I know I have a relationship with God, but I'm not sure how valuable I am. And, and, and he's got things in his life that in his eyes are, are so huge and that he's never, ever going to find victory over these things. That that's what he believes. And it just reminds me of the nation of Israel. It just reminds me that sometimes people get in these places and, and they need a Joshua. They need a Joshua. They need a Joshua to come along and go, listen, I, I, know, you, I know you think this is truth. This is not truth. God says you're an heir to the king. God says you're a son. God says you're a daughter. God says there's something significant about you, that he is building something in you, and that he is going to see it to completion. God has invited you to be a partner with him and the Holy Spirit in his mission to reconcile the world to himself. God, God thinks that, that much of you. And, and these things that you just keep, you just keep bawling in, these things that you just keep, just, that, that just keep hitting you wave after wave after wave. Uh, come here, step on this neck. Step on this neck. So I know that for this person, I'm, I'm as Joshua. And when I see lies, I speak truth. And when I see fear, I talk about courage. When I see opportunities, I say, hey, let's take this step of obedience. When the focus gets to be on the defeats, I go back and go, look at all the wins. Now, I'm, here's the truth. I, I need a Joshua too. Sometimes I need a Joshua. We all need a Joshua and probably, probably a lot of us are in a position to where God's put you to be a Joshua for someone else. 
want you to pray with me for just a second. Just bow your heads where you're at. Father, I know that many of us in this room need a Joshua. We are bombarded by noise and lies. This fear has become so loud and so common that we can't discern it from our own voice. We can't even discern it from yours. So, Father, I'm, 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 I'm begging, I'm asking that you would pierce through this fog, that you would pierce through this so that we can hear you and your truth and your words so that this stronghold of fear Fear of things that, that you've already spoken over, things that you have already won, things that you have already said. This, this is what it will be. This is what it is. To remove those fears from us. For those that need a Joshua. for those that are Joshua's. I'm asking this. Amen. Amen. I'm going to put three tangible ways you can respond this morning. The band's going to play here in a minute. And um, when they do, one of the ways that you can respond is some of you may have not made the decision to follow Jesus. <laughs> you haven't given your life to Jesus. And, and for you, the, the question will be, well, then if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then, then your worst case scenario is not taken care of. So, so maybe that's the decision that you need to take care of right, right now. I'm going to have some other leaders and me. We're going to be in the back. And, and when I step off the stage and we begin to sing, if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, to today, today could be the day. And we would love to help you take that step so that your worst case scenario is spoken over. For some of you, you need a Joshua moment. You are wrestling with lies and hearing things about fear in your life that are not true. They're not true. And you just need someone to pray over you you're a kid of the king. You're valuable. You're, God's doing something in you. And we want to pray that over you. That's not wishful thinking. 
That's truth. Some of you may need to be prayed for because you know that next step of obedience you need to take or you know this next place of courage and you just need a Joshua to help walk you to that place. Man, come get, come get a Joshua. Band's gonna play, step out. Let's pray over you. Third thing you can do. We've got communion stations. Communion. Where we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to fear. Because I am a child of God. And we come to that table and we remember the cost that God paid in order for that to be a truth that we can sing over one another. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond and let's worship. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God and I'm no
stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see you working. Even when I don't feel that you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see you working. Even when I don't feel that you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop. You are miracle work. Promise keep the light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are miracle work. Promise keep the light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 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 You are we make miracle work. Promise keep light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You Father God, we praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are the promise keeper, that you are the way maker, and that you've called us your children. God, thanks for that list that we got to see this morning of all those, of all those facts, those truths about who we are to you and that we are not worthless. God, and with you, we can overcome those fears that we have. So God, thank you for this time of worship that we could have together as a, as a church body. I pray that it was pleasing to your ears today. It's in your name I pray, amen. Amen, well, thank you for joining us today. If you're a guest of ours, we're especially glad you were here. We'd love to know that you were here. We've got connection cards on the chairs. Please, uh, we'd love to, to get to know you a little better. Um, just put your information on that. We've got uh, little kiosks out in the lobby or at the doors you walk out. Uh, we'd love to love to hear from you. And as we do every week, let's go and uh, let's let's read our blessing together over each other as we go. In Christ, you go nowhere alone. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you are, God can work through you. He gives purpose to your being there. Christ, who dwells in you, has something to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace, love, and power 
Go be the church. Have a great week, everyone.